0: Of a series we've been doing called uh, "The Big Story," and uh, looking around, I see a lot of you have kind of been here for a few of the weeks. But um, basically, to tell you what we've been doing, we've been working our way through the uh, through a book. Well, we've been using a book as a basis for a series of talks, taking you through the rough kind of framework of the Bible, from the first book, Genesis, to the last book, Revelation. It's called The Big Story. I haven't got a copy on me, unfortunately. There's one in my bag. but um, It's available to buy. Uh, Oh, there you go. Oh, wow. Hey, love the AV people. and uh, It's available to buy. It's £2.50. Please grab one up. I think we've sold over 350 of them so far. That's pretty good. A lot of you have already done it, but if you're part of a small group or you've just ever wanted to know uh, roughly kind of the, the... Narrative, the kind of overarching kind of narrative of of the Bible. Great book, uh, check it out. And we've been taking the kind of chapter headings and roughly the same sort of content of each of the eight chapters of this book uh, and talking through them each week. Now, just to remind you what we're doing here, um, we're not looking to give you every single um, detail and every single character and moment in the Bible. We're looking to give you like just a rough Framework, just a rough skeleton of the story of the Bible and some of the really big um, phases of history uh, uh, through each of uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And it's up to you, to be quite honest, to go away and, and put the meat on the bones and, and add the muscles and the skin and make it look good. Okay, I'm just giving you the, the rough framework. But to let you know where we've been so far, we started uh, a long time ago now uh, with the creation and fall. We looked at the... Uh, The story in the Bible of God making everything. Now, I know there's massive controversy at the moment with evolution versus this and that and whatever, but the Bible is just clear on one thing for sure God was behind the beginning. Okay, God was behind you and me getting here. So we looked at that and then we looked at the fact that um, God had a purpose when He created us, but actually that we kind of missed that. That we did a few things that led us to a place where we actually began to live disconnected from God. The Bible calls it uh, sin. That actually sin came into the world. And that's not just behaviour, but um, a, a disconnection right at the basis of who we are. A Disconnection where we, we're born and we don't have an idea that there's actually a God. That we're disconnected straight from the beginning. This is what sin is. So we looked at that, and then we looked at the fact that um, God didn't give up on people just because we, in some ways, had given up on him. And the, the second week was about God choosing a, a people... And all through the Old Testament, and the New in fact, God chooses people. And in the Old Testament, God, God choose individuals, uh, chose individuals, but then chose actually a nation called Israel to represent um, what a people who know God look like. That's, this was God's plan for Israel. But um, things went a bit pear-shaped there uh, as time went on. Uh, and in the third week, we looked at the fact that God had promised them uh, we looked at the Promised Land. All God's promises that He would give them this land, and it's called the land flowing with milk and honey. That it's a great place, and uh, Israel kind of glimpses it, and at times like, they make little kind of uh, attempts to get there. But once again, their their sinfulness, their brokenness, um, stops them really getting there. But once again, we see that God is always um, pursuing them all the way through the Old Testament. If you know anything about it, and you pick it up at any point, you'll see the people doing. Stuff that's directly opposite to what God tells them to do. But God doesn't give up on them. God continues to try and call them back. Call them back to their purpose. And then we looked in the fourth week. uh, Exile and return. That actually there, there came a point. Although there were many points in the Old Testament. There came a point where actually it got so bad. That Israel had fallen so far from God's purpose. That actually they were shattered. And they were spread out. And other nations who didn't necessarily represent God came in and overtook them and enslaved them and, and, and did all kinds of stuff to them but still we saw in that moment even though they've been shattered and they seem to have lost all the the purpose that God had for them all the promises he'd given them even in that moment God looks to return them to actually call them back and he begins in the old testament through these guys the prophets to talk about a day when God would bring everything back together that he would bring Israel, bring his his chosen people that actually through Israel all people would know him so it's not just Israel anymore actually it's about the whole world coming back to know him so that was our Old Testament studies, four weeks and we kind of really pootled through there and if you know the Old Testament you know that is an abbreviated kind of uh, peek at it but then we move into the New Testament and and this is where things have got fun for us I've got to tell you not that it's not fun before but this is is really the good news bit and we looked at the first week at the kingdom of God maybe you've heard that phrase before but uh, essentially, I, I preached that one. It was good. And uh, hello. And, uh, and I told you, if you remember, I said, look, when, when you look at the, word, the, the phrase, the kingdom of God, it might be helpful for you, if you take out the word kingdom and you put in the word movement, that actually, in the New Testament, when we start to read about what Jesus does in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right at the beginning of the New Testament, as we begin to look at that, we're actually seeing the very movement of God that God is no longer satisfied to have people kind of know him and mess it up and keep coming back. That God is, is tired of this and now has, has personally come to us. That he doesn't talk from afar anymore, up on a mountain somewhere or, or in a tent to one guy with a beard. But actually, now he, in the New Testament, he, he strips off his eternity and he steps into the body of a man, Jesus. And he actually moves among us. And he tells us what God is like. But more importantly than that, he shows us what God is like. And that's what I love about Jesus. Among many things I love about Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what God would say to you this morning, you look in the Gospels and you read the words of Jesus. If you want to see how God would treat people, you have to look in the Gospels and see how Jesus treated them. He is our our marker. He is God himself among us. And last week Chris went on to talk about um, the cross, probably apart from what I'm going to talk about this morning, probably the, 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 the key moment in the life of Christ, the most important, um, one of the most important parts of our faith. And Chris looked at the fact that Jesus came and yeah, he brought the, the very movement of God, that people loved him. I don't know if you know this about Jesus, whether your, your image of Jesus is small, but actually Jesus was well, amazingly well received. In fact, just before he died, when he came into Jerusalem, it, we're told the whole city turned out, that there's uproar in the city because Jesus is coming. Jesus would often have to stay outside of towns because if he went into a town, there would be riots and everyone it would just go mad. So he would have towns... Come to him. A very popular guy. So the movement's going on and Chris then spoke about the time when God actually begins to turn events. And I suppose if you talk to anyone about Jesus, if they knew anything at all, and that's questionable sometimes nowadays, they would know that there was something about Jesus and something about the cross, that Jesus maybe died. And Chris spoke about that last week, about the time when Jesus, even though he was popular, even though he was loved, and even though, if you read the accounts of the Gospels, he's never done anything but good for people. Jesus is arrested, and in a completely unfair, illegal mock trial, he's convicted of blasphemy by his enemies, those who hate him. And Jesus is taken, and he's tortured now, I don't know what film you've seen. If you've seen The Passion, you know what I'm talking about. If you've only seen the other ones with Charlton Heston or someone, you think that Jesus just got a little bit of blood there and maybe a black eye. But actually, we're talking about torture. That Jesus is taken away against his will and beaten and, and stripped and scourged. That's whipped to within an inch of his life. And then he's taken He's taken to the cross and he's nailed to a cross. A, a big, and not the kind of nails you get from home base, but rigid kind of awkward shape now's not smooth ones rammed through his ankles and rammed through his wrists and he's hung up on a cross and Chris told you about that moment last week it's quite a dark moment but Chris also reminded us last week that actually in in that moment God was doing something it wasn't that God's plan went wrong there that Jesus was doing really well and then he took a misstep went too far and it went wrong. Actually, this is God's plan. Actually, in the moment of Jesus being crushed on the cross, even though he lived this perfect life, in that moment, God was doing something amazing. And it's to do with you and it's to do with me. It's to do with our sin, that brokenness, that disconnectedness. You see, Jesus lived his life and he wasn't disconnected in any way. So he goes to the cross and he suffers this disconnection from his father. He actually becomes sin, the Bible says. But in that moment, God offers us an exchange. He says, okay, look, I will take your sin. Jesus will take the punishment for our sin, for our brokenness. The results of our life end up on Jesus. But the, the pureness of Jesus, the results of his life, are now open to us. And that's what the cross is about. It's a moment where God himself suffers in your place, and then says, Look, I want you to live now. Take this life. That's the cross. And it's wonderful, but it is grim. And it's a sobering moment in the Gospels. And this leads us on to this week. And actually, this is the this week cannot be separated from last week. We had to because of the book, but this is the same event, okay? The cross isn't one thing and this is another. This is the same kind of event continuing. Because this week I come to talk to you about the resurrection. I know I talked to you about the church. I talked to you about the resurrection and the church. So let's just go back over this, okay? Because these are some things you need to know. Jesus actually came among us, okay? That's, a, that's kind of a fact. I don't know if you know that. Maybe you're here this morning, not quite yet a follower of Jesus. You're, you're checking us out. I want to say to you, you, know, you, can, you, can, you can trust the biblical history. You can actually trust other historians of the same time who are very reliable who talk of a man, Jesus, preaching, of, of, of cities being in uproar, of him leading a group of men and some of his claims. That's a fact. Jesus actually was a real person here. Fact. Jesus actually performed miracles among us. Okay? That's not in doubt. If you read the Bible, you go through the Gospels, there's not one person, Jesus' worst enemy, the people who hated him most. None of them ever said to him, you didn't do that. They just said to him, you did it for the wrong people, you did it in the, on the wrong day, you did it for the wrong reasons. And then Jesus actually died on the cross. Now this is key to us, understanding this week, that Jesus actually died. This again, you can verify this in, in the Gospels, but also uh, through other historians, They talk of a man, Jesus uh, suffering, uh, a death on the cross, a criminal's death. This is a trusted thing. And in this moment, see, you and I we get we know a bit more of the story. Maybe if we're followers of Jesus this morning, we we know about the resurrection, we know about the stuff that uh, happened later. We've got our Bible so we can see the story. But for the followers of Jesus in that moment, everything's just gone pear shaped. Everything's the rug has just been pulled out from under them. And I don't know if you've ever been there where life seems to be going sweet but all of a sudden everything collapses everything stops, everything changes and I I can sympathise with the followers of Jesus where they must have thought in that moment that all is lost but we know when we read our Bible now after the event, looking back not being stuck in that moment we know that actually in that moment it wasn't that all was lost but as Jesus said on the cross all was finished I don't know if you know this. There's a moment in the gospel where Jesus is on the cross. It's just before the Bible says that he gives up his spirit and dies, and he actually says, "It is finished. It is finished." And if you know anything, you'll know that that's a term used in the market for when you're trying to haggle for a deal, and then you go, "It's a deal. It's finished. It's sealed." And I need you to know this morning. I want you to know that Jesus came with one thing in mind yeah he preached, yeah, he loved people, made friends, had a family, you know had mothers and brothers and stuff and But actually the, the point was this moment, the cross and this morning the resurrection. This was the deal that Jesus came to make. This is it. This is the moment that he was born for his death let 's read about this moment, and this is um, obviously before um, his followers. Know the rest of the story, but uh, you'll find this in Luke 24. If you want to turn there, you're more than welcome to. I'm reading in the New Living Translation, so it might be slightly different to what you're used to. But it says this But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women, are terrified. the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man, which is a title that Jesus took off for himself, that must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell the eleven disciples and everyone else what happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James. That's Jesus' mother. And several other women who told the apostles what happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. (laughs) Typical men. Never get it. Two weeks later, oh, right. <laughs> but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. I just loved this moment, and it must have been so hard for those three women in that moment who were going to mourn their Jesus their teacher, someone who they've given themselves to. And they go there and there's confusion because he's gone, his body's gone, the stone's rolled away. But then they meet these, there's these two guys there. And they say, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? And then they say, he isn't here. And this is the question I want to uh, deal with today. Now I know a lot of you might be convinced on this, but... Some of you might not be completely unconvinced about the resurrection. And some of you might have never really considered that much, even though you're a follower of Jesus. So I want to spend a while talking about just this moment. The fact that they've gone to the tomb and Jesus isn't there. Now I need you to know this morning, as I talk about the resurrection, I need you to know that it is the biggest claim of Christianity. It's the biggest claim of Christianity. This is the one. So many people accept Jesus. So many people would say that he's a great teacher and would say that Christianity's done a lot of good but actually this is a place where we lose a lot of people because this is the bit that's like it's a massive claim because I don't know about you I don't know if you know this but when people die they generally don't come back What's, what's done is done but Jesus in this moment does something else and it's this event actually that is just the biggest thing to get past, and actually the most important thing to consider in your life. There are a few big questions in your life that you have to consider and answer, and I would just put to you that this is probably the biggest one. That what happened here? How do you deal with the tomb, the empty tomb? You see, the Bible says to us that Jesus didn't avoid death. He didn't somehow cheat it and and suffer half a death. It tells us that he, he completely died. And it shows us through the account actually how vicious the torture was and how vicious the cross was. How much Jesus suffered. It wants us to know completely and be convinced that Jesus on the cross was dead as dead can be. But then the Bible also tells us later on that Jesus did die, but actually that he overcame death. I like to think that Jesus beat death up. I'm just a slightly Pentecostal ginger person. (laughs) He beat death up. That in the moment of the cross and in the moment of him being put in the grave, it's not that he's over and all hope is gone, but actually he's bang on track. That Jesus chose the tomb, that Jesus chose the cross. There were countless moments for the life of Jesus. He could have avoided it, could have done it maybe some other way, but he wouldn't do that because this was his father's will and he loved you so much, he loved me so much that he wanted to deal with our sin and our brokenness and the only way to do it was to pay the price on the cross. And the cross last week, and you can get the podcast for all these things actually, please do, but the cross last week Essentially, it was about dealing with our old life. The cross is about that moment of exchange where Jesus says, you can take the goodness of my life and I will take the brokenness of yours. It's about that moment where you get to surrender and hand yourself in. That's the cross. And so many people accept the cross and love the cross because it's so amazing to find someone who will forgive all your stuff. But if you're just there, you've got half the deal. Because the second part is the best part. Because the resurrection is about you having new life. Cross about dealing with your old life. The resurrection. Jesus defeating death. Death, as it says in the Bible, not being able to keep a grip on Jesus, is about new life. I want you to know this morning that Christianity isn't just about you being able to have your sins forgiven. And be able to get to be a slightly better person and have less guilt. But actually it's about Jesus dealing with the brokenness of your old life and allowing you now to walk into a whole different way of living. A whole different way of viewing everything in your life. Derek Mor- Morphew came a couple of weeks ago and he, he talked slightly off of our series. But he did a really interesting talk. I, I'd urge you to get it. And he spoke a little bit about... Um, the resurrection and when we get new bodies and stuff, and check it out. But one thing that he said that I really liked—I wasn't here, but I caught the podcast—and uh, he, he talked about the fact that Jesus is our model in everything. That Jesus' life is kind of—we should aim our lives and the things that Jesus experienced in the resurrection and stuff. We would do that, and I, I would just say oh, that's an amazing thought, and, and to always remember that. And like I said earlier, when as you look at Jesus, you can know that's what God looks like. But in this moment. Where Jesus suffers death, a horrible, torturous, lonely, embarrassing death, but then is raised to life. I need you to know this morning that you can be like Jesus. That actually, the Bible says that even though we, we will die, the, Jesus, the Bible actually talks about kind of the first death and the second death. It says, you know, we may die, but actually, we'll be raised again like Jesus. Jesus is our model. So, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, the moment we stepped in and we we took the claims of the cross seriously and we said, I want to deal with my old stuff, the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to reveal newness of life to us, okay? We begin to slowly change and develop new kind of feelings and habits, and our life begins to reshape. And that's part of this resurrection life. But you know, we're still gonna die. We're still going to suffer that physical death. But now as followers of Jesus, we get to actually know that there's not a sting in death anymore. The Bible uses this phrase that that Jesus took away the uh, death's sting. The death can still mess with us, take our life, remove our breath from our bodies. But actually, because Jesus defeated sin and because he rose again, we can actually have eternal life that yet we die, we'll live. Now I need you to, I'm going to put something up on the thing and you need to know this as well. There's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. That's how important this morning is, that's how important this topic is. If there's no resurrection, then you've never met a Christian. There's no resurrection there's no Christians. There's no Christianity. This is how important this is. This isn't something that you go, well, I'm not sure about that. I accept the cross and the teachings, but I'm not sure about that. If you don't have this, you don't have it. You don't have it if you don't have this. If you've never come to terms and never looked at the resurrection and never thought about the fact that Jesus has defeated death on your behalf, then you're missing something this morning. Let me tell you, this is a, I want to read something from a book called 1 Corinthians. And this is one of the early church um, fathers talking to his church. And there's a whole bunch of stuff kicking off in their church uh, in Corinth. And it's good stuff, but mainly bad stuff. And he wants to remind them of the things that are important. And he says this. Ooh. Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. And this is, this is the, the good bit. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve after that and he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive though some have died and he was seen by James and later by all the apostles last of all as though I had been born at the wrong time I also saw him for I'm the least of all the apostles in fact I'm, even wor- I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church so here's this guy and in another version it says I passed on to you the things of first importance so in this moment he's writing to a church and he's saying look these are the most important things if you're going to follow Jesus. That you know he died for your sins, that he was buried, that he, he was really dead, honestly dead. But then that God raised him on the third day. This is it. This, these are the most important things to have in, in your faith. If you're missing one of these, you're missing something. You must have these. No resurrection, no Jesus come back from the dead, no new life for us. He carries on and he says this, we're missing a couple of verses, picking up at verse 12. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there's no resurrection from the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. And in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world strong words from a church leader here and he's just saying look if you don't believe in the resurrection if you haven't embraced it your faith is useless if we as a church we don't live and move in this we're useless i mean we'll do nice stuff we'll be nice we'll be christians but actually we'll miss out on the new life that god has for us this thing is so important that you know this morning that Jesus rose from the dead, that the grave could not keep a grip on him. My Bible actually says that Jesus lived an indestructible life, that death couldn't break him down, that it was like death swallowed him but had to spit him out because he was just, it couldn't digest him. Your faith is useless if you don't have this. So let me just talk a little bit about the theories against the resurrection because this morning you might be sitting there if you are not already followed Jesus you'll be sitting there thinking Phew, sounds like hogwash to me man, I don't know about this I've never met anyone back from the dead, I don't get it and uh, there's a few people who agree with you and uh, let's just quickly go through some theories Okay, these are my favourite theories um, the ones near the top are the, the more accepted ones the one near the bottom are the maybe slightly vaguer ones and ones that I thought were funny so I put them in um, so, firstly, the swoon theory—you might have heard this. This is essentially the belief that um, Jesus didn't die; he just fainted. Because you know how torture and crucifixion can bring on an awful bout of fainting. Okay, we don't accept that for various reasons. Um, mainly, he was dead. Um, the stolen body theory. This is a good theory. I mean, this makes sense, right? Jesus wasn't there. Yes, yeah, someone stole him. In fact, you stole him, you naughty badger. Okay, we don't believe that. We don't believe that for various reasons. One of them being that the Roman guards oversaw the burial of Jesus, so they put a a group of hardened war criminals in front of it. They put the Roman seal on the tomb. It was going to be pretty hard for Peter and doubting Thomas and Mary to take them and open the tomb. We don't buy that. Uh, The group vision theory. This is a great one. Uh, Essentially that they all hallucinated in various places at various times in the same way. No, that doesn't really happen. I know from my youth, I did a lot of LSD when I was younger, before I knew Christ, uh, and I would often do it with a group of friends, and we never saw the same thing. In fact, once I saw a a massive tidal wave coming, and I said, wow, tidal wave. And my friend went, no way. Anyone ever see the raccoons cartoon thing? Anyway, he said, no way, Cyril Sneer is looking at me from behind that bush. (laughs) It didn't work. So hallucination, we don't buy that. Uh, the drug body theory. Essentially that Jesus was drugged, that he took something or he was fed something that slowed his heart rate down to the point where he would seem dead. But he wasn't. We don't believe this. Jesus was actually dead. Uh, the Roman guards who do this day in, day out, said he was dead. His followers, his, his mother, would have looked at him and checked him. And she'd know then we get to the more silly ones, but actually still these are valid theories out there. This is the post-hypnotic suggestion theory. Jesus is a hypnotist apparently, and he used embedded thought so that people would think he'd come alive. Now, this explains a few things maybe you look through the gospel you think, "Oh, this would make sense." So Jesus is out there and he just says, "Look at my eyes, right in my eyes, just right, not around the eyes in the eyes." I've just fed 5,000 of you and you're back in the room. Wow, Jesus fed five thousand. It makes sense, okay? It's a good, good thing too. Not true. It doesn't hold up. It's loony, okay? And I, I've got a more thorough um, reason for it not being true if you talk to me afterwards. <laughs> uh, spiritual resurrection theory. This is a view held by some people. I think Joseph's witnesses or Mormons hold this. That Jesus came back, but not physically. Just came back as a, as like a... It's Jesus. But we don't hold to that because in the biblical account, he's physical, He eats fish. They touch him. He hugs his people. He cooks some breakfast. He does physical things. We won't hold to that. And here's my favourite theory, okay? The twin theory, or as I've renamed it, the daytime soap theory. And this is the theory that, that Jesus actually had a twin brother, and that he was the one that died, and and Jesus or whichever one is now free. And I just imagine this as a Spanish daytime television soap. Oh no, it's Jesus. You're alive. No. I'm not Jesus, I'm Julio, his brother. (laughs) Doesn't hold up. Doesn't work. Okay? In fact, none of the theories about the resurrection, when you really look into them, hold any water at all. They just don't. So the question today is, how do you deal with the empty tomb? How do you deal with the empty tomb? If there's no theory that really covers it, that really explains how Jesus' body got out of that tomb, other than resurrection, how do you deal with it? Was it Spock who said, (laughs) I'm quoting Spock, um, who said something about, if you've you've looked at all the plausible, natural things that can happen, then it's the extraordinary, even no matter how implausible it is, that must be true. And this is the kind of situation we're in here. You look at it and you go, there's no other way. So we must lean into the resurrection. And that's, the followers of Jesus lean. That's where I hope a lot of you lean, or some of you this morning maybe came in not that way. I hope you're leaning a bit nearer to me now. And the biggest, some of the biggest proof of Jesus being alive again is to look at his followers. And this is where I want to move on. I want to talk to you about the church. okay. I talked talk to you about the church, because I can't talk to you about the early church uh, without telling you first about the resurrection, because actually the resurrection was the driving force behind the church. You see, the church only exists because Jesus came back to life. The church only exists because Jesus came back to life. If Jesus didn't come back to life, we're done. Forget it. You might as well be a Buddhist. You might as well be... A Muslim, you might as well be a Hindu because they've all got dead followers to, dead leaders too. You might as well just go and do something else. And the early church would have just floundered and disappeared unless, unless if they hadn't of grasped onto the resurrection and they hadn't gone, this is true, this is real. And it was this amazing event, the resurrection, that drove the church and that hopefully drives churches today. Your church only exists because Jesus came back to life. If you look at the followers of Jesus and what they did, if it was a lie, if they'd have perpetrated some conspiracy where they tricked everyone, if they had stolen the body somehow, there was a back door in the tomb, something happened, then it, it doesn't add up that most of them, actually, out of the 11 disciples that were left after Judas popped his clogs, um, out of the 11 that were left, 10 died. Preaching the resurrection and actually died because they preached the resurrection. It doesn't make sense if it was a lie that they do that. In fact, the only one that survived, and there's various ways they did it actually, they were sawn in two, they were burnt alive, they were ripped apart, they were sewn in the belly of animals and thrown to other animals to be eaten. Horrible way to go, smelly and painful. And some of them were boiled in oil, which is nasty. And there's that moment where your, your feet are just going into the boiling oil, <laughs> where you go, actually, I should probably tell them I was joking. Actually, there's no, uh, Jesus didn't die or, or we stole the body. But it doesn't happen. In fact, uh, John, who writes the Gospel of John and one John, two John, uh, he was boiled in oil, but survived. <laughs> now, I don't know what's worse this morning, to be boiled in oil or to live to tell the tale. <laughs> I don't know what's worse, man. He's got some messed up feet, among other things. You see, the early church went out with this message of resurrection. In fact, if you look at the first sermon of the church, Peter's first sermon, he essentially stands up and he says, Look, the Jesus who we follow, who you crucified, who you killed, God raised. That's the first sermon ever in a church meeting if you want the early church was driven by this message that God had come among them that he'd shown them what God is like and then that he died this disgusting horrible criminal death for them to pay for their old life but actually more than that that God had then raised Jesus from the dead and now we can live again. In this life, we can begin to know God more. But when we die, we are translated into eternity. That actually we carry on with God. The church is not just some afterglow of something that happened a long, long time ago. It's something that's active today, right now, right here. It's not an old story we're carrying on because we haven't got another new one, it's the story. And the churches are wonderful things. You look at it in the early church, it just moves with such power. That first sermon brings in 3,000 people. And slowly, they just add more and more and more and more people. And that message goes out and it changes the known world. Changes the known world. And it's not the story of a guy who died on a cross. It's the story of the guy who came back from the dead. This is the story. This is the message of Christianity. That yeah, he died for your sins But now he lives so you can know life I want to end just by reading something from Ephesians You can turn it, it's in Ephesians 1 it says this I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead And seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms God raised him from the dead and he's present on earth through the church through the the body of Christ this is the message that we hold to this is probably with the cross next to it this is the most important moment in your Bibles where everything that came before the cross has a full stop put on it and everything that comes after is now seen through the resurrection. This morning Jesus is alive and he lives calling people to him and this morning if you call on him you can know him and you can begin to have assurance that even though you die and I don't want to die, trust me this morning I'm not up for dying, dying's not good, not fun, I was planning on lunch but if it happens we can know that we have one who went before us into the grave and bounce back out and we'll bounce back out with him can I have the band back up would you guys mind standing let me just pray Lord Jesus thank you Lord God that you suffered and you died in our place Lord God that you loved us so much you wouldn't just set us aside but you set yourself aside and Lord I thank you that the grave could not hold you Lord that three days later you came back from the dead and now Lord God we can experience life even though we die we can know you And in this life, right now, we can experience you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for your death. But we worship you because you are alive, Lord God. Because you are here in this room with us, Lord God. So, Father, we just ask would you just continue to reveal yourself to us, Lord God. Help us understand these these truths in your word, Lord God. Amen.